Joshua chapter 24, Joshua chapter 24, we're in a series of messages where we are talking about the power of decisions, how important it is to make the right decisions. Last week we talked about some of that indecisiveness that kind of creeps up in all of us, that inability to in certain situations to make decisions and we found out that indecision is actually a decision that we make. And uh, so we've, we've been encouraged in that. And today, I wanna talk to you out of, this, out of this story in Joshua, where Joshua challenges the people to choose this day who you will serve. Joshua 24, uh, start in verse 14. I'm just gonna read two verses. Uh, now the fear, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua is challenging them because he's gone through this list of all of the things that God has done for them, how he delivered them out of bondage, how he saved them from their enemies, how he brought them through the sea, and all of the miraculous things that he has done to get them to the place that they are. But like us, even though God has been really, really good to us, sometimes we don't make the right decisions to follow him even in his goodness towards us. Isn't that an amazing thing, how God can be so kind to us and so gracious towards us, and we forget him, and we forget to serve him, and we forget to honor him, and we choose other things over him, and this is what's happening to the people here in this book. And in verse 15, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He says, but as for me and my house, does anybody else in the room feel that this morning? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care about what you're doing in your house. All I know about is what's going on in my house. I don't have a whole lot of time for your house. Uh, but I need to focus in on my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't even tell you what's going to go on in the White House, but I can tell you what's going to happen in my house. I can't tell you what's going to happen in my neighbor's house. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the schoolhouse, in the courthouse, or any other house. But I can tell you this. As for me and my house. Does anybody else feel that boldness today? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, we thank you for your house, and we thank you for the, the opportunity to choose you. You've given us this freedom of choice, and, and just like a fish is free to swim out or to jump out of the water, we understand that the fish was not created for an environment outside of the water. So yeah, the fish is free to do whatever it wants, but it won't survive. So we understand today that you have created an environment for us to thrive in and survive in, to breathe in, and that is your presence. And so today, God, we make a decision. We choose you. We choose you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. It's one thing to just get up and tell you, hey, choose the Lord. I could do that, and we could just close. I could go have something to eat go home, and I can even tell them, hey, just show this video to the second service. <laughs> That'd be an easy Sunday. Unlike yesterday, I went to Dollywood. My, my youngest son, he turned 10 yesterday, and I haven't been to Dollywood in years. And I went to Dollywood in the middle of thunderstorms. 
on a Saturday. <laughs> so it was fun. We were there from 10 until about 8.30 yesterday, just fighting storms, trying to get on rides. We rode the Tennessee tornado, and my little 10-year-old, he passed out on Tennessee. First ride. First ride. He looked, he like it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Get to the end of the ride, he jumps out of the cart, and he's like, let's do it again. I'm like, you are crazy. What are you talking about? It was wild. It was wild. I don't even know why I was telling you that story. It makes, it has, has no value. It makes no sense at all. As you're, as you're, as you're in, this, in this message today, and I'm asking you to choose, I don't want to just give you a, a general, hey, make a decision. I want to give you a few different areas where I believe, and these, are, these may be for me more than anybody else, and there are definitely more choices we're going to have to make, but I want to talk to you today about the choice to serve God and not money, the choice to serve God and not fear, the choice to serve God and not your insecurity, and the choice to serve God and not guilt. Joshua challenges them. He says, your parents served other gods. If you're not careful, if you don't make a decision, you're going to end up making the same mistakes that people who have gone before you have made. So his challenge is, is make a decision. The Bible teaches us in Revelation that God would really rather us be hot or cold. What God cannot stand, cannot tolerate, is lukewarmness. That place of just indecision, that place of I really haven't made up my mind about God. I really haven't made my mind up about the Lord. So I'm just going to sit here and just kind of keep trying things out. God's like, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But don't settle for a life of lukewarm. And when it comes to God, you cannot serve him and other things at the same time. I tell people this all the time. You cannot, you cannot pursue your purpose and your identity at the same time. You have to make a choice. And it's like Joshua was saying here, you've got to choose today. This isn't a choice that you can put off for a week. You're not promised tomorrow. You've got to make a decision about what am I going to do with God today. And I have to make, first of all, I want to talk to you about the choice of God over money. Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I know a lot of people in the room right now who are like, no, I know an income I'd be satisfied with. Jesus, I'll give you the number right now. I'll write it down. It, <laughs> But the reality is, is, is as everybody, as we grow, even as you grow financially, unless you're, unless you're good with money, what happens to you is you get more money is you just get more stuff. And so as you get more money, you get more stuff. And when you get more stuff, you just get more problems. 
I heard a pastor talking years ago and he said, you know, when you get a bigger house, the bigger house comes with a bigger light bill and bigger gas bill and a bigger garage and more cars and more money and more insurance and, and everything as you grow financially, if you're not cautious, you'll continue to grow, not just financially, but you'll grow in sorrow. But the, and the Bible teaches me though, that God makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. That's the kind of wealth I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a wealth that can be identified by how big my house is or how big my bank account is, but how, how little sorrow I have in my life when it comes to finances. That's true wealth. Matthew 6 and 34 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew chapter 19, a young man comes to Jesus and he tells Jesus that he wants to follow him and he wants to be with him forever. And he asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit, to live forever, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, this is pre-cross, so Jesus, who has not yet fulfilled the commands, is telling him the truth of the matter. He says, you gotta, you gotta keep the commandments and you will live, you will live forever. And he says, I've done it, Lord, all of them. Since I was a little boy, I've kept them all. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you this one thing. Can you go sell all of your possessions, give all of that money away and come and follow me? And the Bible says that the young man had to walk away. And when he walked away, what was he full of? Sorrow and sadness because he had a lot of money, the Bible says. He was lying to himself when he said he was keeping all the commandments when he couldn't even keep the first one. Have no other gods but God. His God was his money. And he had made a decision. He would made a choice that he was going to serve Money and not God. But can I tell you, that choice leaves you sad and sorrowful. That choice leaves you wanting for more constantly. And some people's money, some people's need for money will keep them from their calling. This young man, God was obviously, Jesus was obviously calling him to himself. But he had something else in his life that was more important. And this, this love for money, this desire to follow money, to take a job for money, to move your family for money, to make your decisions about money, it will cause you to live sorrowful and it will cause you to, to stay away from your calling. Why? Because it's not that everybody in this room drowns in trouble. Most people drown in opportunity. Most of us are not going to fall because of trouble. Most of us are going to fall because of opportunity. An opportunity we should have said no to, but we were controlled by. We had made the choice that money was going to guide our lives. And so I picked my family up and I moved. Why? Because of money. Well, have you found a church home? No, but I guess it'll work itself out. Have you? Do you, you and your wife agree on this decision? No, but she'll figure it out. She'll, she'll like the money. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money or you will live a life full of sorrow. See, following Jesus is not about, 
It's not just the courage to take risks, but you need the wisdom to ask the question, God, is this you? Discernment recognizes that it's Jesus and it waits patiently for his word. You, you remember the story in Matthew chapter 14? If, you, if you're not familiar with it, there's a story where a man named Peter, uh, he sees Jesus walking on water and he's in a boat and he asks Jesus, hey, can I come and walk on the water too? And Jesus says, hey, yeah, come on out. Peter gets out of the boat and for a little bit he walks on the water. But as he sees the wind and the waves start to mess with him, he starts to sink. Jesus rescues him and he gets back in the boat and he rebukes his faith. But something so important about Peter's discernment and about our discernment is in this story. Peter doesn't just jump out of the boat because he sees Jesus doing it. He has the discernment and the wisdom to first of all ask, Jesus, is that you? And when Jesus says it's me, he says, hey, can I come out on the water too? He didn't just assume that the water was going to catch him. He asked Jesus, is it okay for me to make this decision? Come on, somebody. And a lot of you are just assuming just that Jesus is just going to catch you. Well, I'm, it's a risk, so I'm going to take it, and he's responsible. No, you need the discernment to ask, Jesus, is this even you that's trying to move my family, that's trying to give me this promotion, that's trying to get me to move in this area or opportunity? Because most of us don't drown in trouble. We drown in opportunity. A door opened, and we didn't ask God about it. We just took it. Why? Money was good. It was a promotion. Did you stop to say, God, is this you? Are you opening this door? Because can, can I tell you, the enemy can open doors to more money and promotion too. Ooh, man. You remember when he was, you remember when he took Jesus up on the pinnacle and, and he's tempting Jesus and he looks at Jesus and he says, hey, look at all this stuff. I'll give it to you. Jesus didn't say, you're a liar. You don't even own it. You can't give it to me. Why? Because he was telling the truth. The enemy has places of influence and access to money and resources and people. In the same way God does. And he can open up doors and he can put money in your lap. And he can put opportunity in front of you. Same way that God can. So you need the wisdom to say God, is this even you? And should I come? Because most people jump out of the boat because the people in the boat are like, go! You should do that. That sounds good. I don't care about what the people in the boat have to say. They're not walking on water. I want to know the one walking on the water, is this Jesus and should I do this? And so I have to, Joshua, Joshua's, Joshua's challenge is choose this day. Make a decision today about money. Make a decision. I'm not going to serve money. Money is going to serve me. I'm going to serve God. And if I'll serve God, money will serve me and my purpose. I won't work for money. Money will work for me. Can somebody say amen in this room? 
It's too many people are making bad decisions. Why? Because their, their, their decisiveness comes from their love of money. And this is why you tithe. This is why we tithe. When, when I use the word tithe, what I'm saying is we give God 10%. This is a pattern all through scripture. Jesus took an opportunity in the New Testament to even talk about it. He was telling them, he was challenging them because they were neglecting things. And he said, hey, you pay so close attention to giving this tithe, but you neglect these other things. You should tithe, but you should also do these other things. Jesus, in his one opportunity where he could have abolished tithing, he didn't. He said you should. So tithing is not Old Testament, man. Well, Thou shalt not kill his Old Testament. Should we get rid of that one too? Some of you go, yeah, we should actually. That'd make my life a lot better. <laughs> By grace, we have been saved, not of works. <laughs> but this is, why we, this is why we tithe, because it deals with our love of money. It deals with the sense of control we have when it comes to money. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When you give God the first, you set a pattern for the rest. If the first 10% can't control me, the last 90% won't. And you're like, Robbie, you're asking me to arrange all of my finances around God. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm asking you to arrange your money around God, not God around your money, because it's easy to give God what's left. It's not easy to give God what is first. And I'm asking you to arrange, I'll have to change everything. Yeah, you will. Robbie, that would cra take crazy faith. Yeah, absolutely, that's the point. There's no faith required to give God what's left. It takes faith to give God first, and the just shall live by faith. So I want to live by faith in my resources. Second thought, I have to make a decision about what I'm going to do with my fears. Second Timothy chapter one, verses, or chapter one, verse seven says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The thing I found out about fear is fear doesn't actually change the situation. It only blinds you to a way forward. I was shocked yes, yesterday when Oliver, that would have been the end for me. I pass out on a roller coaster. I'm never riding one again. <laughs> never. He passes out. He gets to the end. Like, let's do that again. It's like, let's try another one. So he points it. If you've ever been to Dollywood, he points up at the wild eagle, the big one up on the hill. I'm like, let's not go there. Let's go with like Blazing Fury, the weird underground one with all the weird old people in it. You know that one? <laughs> with the lady, she's getting ready to jump off the porch and the guy, he's like, well, take it easy, dear. You know, I got a bad back. <laughs> that one. <laughs> he's like, no, let's go to that one. You know what was wild is like, there was this part where I was like, on the inside, I'm like, this kid is wild, but oh my, oh yeah, that's my, that's my son. He's, he's brave like his mama, yeah. It's nothing like me, thank you, Jesus. So I'm like, let's go. 
So we get up there and we get in line and it's like a 60 minute wait and we're waiting in line and he's excited. We get right to the thing and then a thunderstorm comes through and they cancel the ride for two hours. And I'm like, hey bud, you wanna just go home? He's like, no, no, we are riding that. So I'm sitting there. Three hours later, we're back at the top of the line. He rides it and he looks at me and he says, dad, I did it. I said, you did, man, you did. You almost passed out, but you didn't. I think the kid, he could never be an astronaut. He would fail astronaut school or whatever. Fear is not a bad thing. I want you to understand that fear is actually something that helps you make good decisions. You know, you, you stand up on a bridge and you're like, man, I'd love to jump off of this, but something on the inside of you says, that's stupid, you could die. That's fear. There's a healthy fear. This, Jesus doesn't say, for God has not given you fear. He says, he, God has not given you a spirit of fear. What that means is a, a spirit talks about control. God has not given you a, a fear that controls your life. I'm not going to make I'm not going to make the decisions of my life based in fear, right? So, so there's not, it's, not just, it's not just fear that says, hey, don't jump off the bridge. It's also wisdom. It's like, that would be unwise. Why? It's 100 feet. Yeah, that's probably not wise. So fear combines with wisdom, and it helps you make a good decision. What, 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 what Timothy is being told is, is there is a fear that wants to control you that's going to that's gonna keep you from doing things that are actually wise for you to do because that's what fear ultimately wants to do is to control your life. So he says, that's not how we're going to operate. That's not how we're going to live. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Fear, again, does not change the situation. It only blinds you to a way forward. I love that when Ollie got finished with that ride, he wasn't blinded to the way forward. He saw the way forward was, hey, I'm okay. Let's try this again. Some people, if they get, if they get in a situation, like me, and I pass out, I'm blind. I'm like, take me home. I'm getting my money back. They just tried to kill me on the Tennessee tornado. That's what happened. The devil tried to take me out. Not today, Satan. Right? Because fear just blinds you to a way forward. And I want to give you a, a few fears that we, we've got to deal with. First of all, the fear of men. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare but who tr whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. If you fear people, you will not be able to trust God. You've got to get, you've got to get over your fear of, of people. And a snare, watch this, a snare doesn't kill, but it keeps you trapped. So fear is a, sna is a snare. It doesn't, fear doesn't kill you. It traps you so that what's coming to kill you can get you. It's a snare. It's a bear trap. The, the trap didn't kill the animal. The trap caught the animal and held it still long enough so that the man with the gun could come kill. 
That's what the enemy uses fear to do. He gets you stuck long enough so that he can come. So when you feel stuck, that's when you know I gotta move. I cannot stay here. I cannot keep living like this. I cannot stay in this mindset. I've gotta get out of this mindset because the enemy has come to steal from me, to kill me, and to destroy my life. And he wants me stuck. Fear of the future. We've gotta deal with our fear of the future. The thing about God is when you, when you know who holds the future, why are you afraid of it? The, the important thing about reading your Bible is that when you read the end of this book, we win. I know life is full of a lot of crazy stuff, but guess what, y'all? We win in the end. We win. And so I don't have to fear the future, even what's happening in the world. People look at the news and they're like, oh my God, read Revelation. It gets even creepier. Hopefully I die before beasts start and snakes and dragons and stuff. Just take me out before that. <laughs> the fear of the future is like, what's going to happen? No, no, no. I don't have to fear the future because I know who holds my future in his hand. Fear of failure. You realize obedience is your job. The outcome belongs to God. God does not get embarrassed of you when you fail. God does not throw you away when you fail. So many people in the room, they're afraid to try because of, they're afraid of failure. What would you do if you knew that your failure would not change God's opinion about you? Fear of the devil. You know that devil, he's after me. You know, he. You realize when the devil fell, first of all, the devil is not God. He's not omniscient. He's not all powerful. He's not always present. God is everywhere all the time. The devil is not that. Everybody, like 100 people saying, well, the devil's after me. Well, he's got to pick one of you. Because he can't chase a hundred at the same time. And you're like, well, maybe it's one of his demons. Oh, okay, I get it. Maybe it's one of them. But guess what? Only a third of them fell. For every one of them, there's two good ones. I just... Just want you to know, there's always, and if you've got this mentality that, that everybody's against me and everything's against me and the devil's against me, you have to change that. That's a fear. That is a fear of the devil. You have to be able to look at life and say, you know, even though I can't see it right now, I've got to recognize that through, through scripture, the Bible teaches me as a whole. It teaches me that there is always more. If I'm a child of God, there are always more for me than there are against me. And the last fear is the fear of death. Fear of death can actually lead to a life of bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 says, By embracing death, it's talking about Jesus, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life. Scared to death of death. 
That's the Bible. That's, those aren't political talking points. That's the Bible. He said, by embracing death, Jesus took it into himself. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. I've met a lot of people over the past year and a half who are just scared to death of death. The Bible teaches you that you don't have to cower through life, scared to death of death. Psalm 56, three through four says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? Yesterday we were at Dollywood. Did I tell you we were at Dollywood yesterday? <laughs> and uh, we were in line, we were in line, and this guy just, he just, he just, he was, he was sneezing. And I could just like, I could just see particles in the air. And I'm like, I'm trying to take my son to Dollywood for his birthday, and I'm going to get killed right here. I'm going to get killed. It's either a roller coaster. And I'm like, Robbie, get a hold of yourself. And, and listen, there, there, there's so much floating around right now. And if you're not careful, you'll be scared to death of death. I'm asking you, be wise. Listen, I've told you all through this whole thing. Listen, when, 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 when I say, listen, don't live in fear, what I'm not saying is, hey, go lick handrails. That's a good, that could be a good decision for your life. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. You got to do whatever you feel is necessary for your safety and your protection. I, I understand that. I get that. This is, this is a church. I'm never going to get up in the pulpit and tell you what to do when it comes to your health. That's not my role. That's not my job. And what I'm going to do is tell you, hey, you should talk to your doctor about that. So guess what? You can come to Calvary Church if you're vaccinated. Did you know that? We're not checking at the door. Did you know you can come if you're not vaccinated? Did you know you can come to Calvary Church if you want to wear a mask? You can come if you don't want to wear a mask. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? And if somebody wears a mask, doesn't mean they're afraid. And if somebody gets a vaccine, doesn't mean they're afraid. You weren't afraid when you were giving your kids the polio vaccine. You were just like, I'm trying to get these dudes in school so they get out of my house. <laughs> Give them whatever shot you need to get them. Get them in there. <laughs> but hey church I understand the caution I understand the wisdom but what I don't understand is being scared to death of death because no matter what happens to you through this whole period you do not have to fear death if you're a child of God you don't have to be afraid to die amen Insecurity. 
What am I gonna decide about my insecurity? Whew. This is, this is really my relationship with me. Insecurity is a wild thing. This is taking me a minute because I think this is me. This is the one where I struggle the most is probably my, my insecurity. Insecurity will do a lot of weird stuff to you. It will, it will take a virtue like loyalty and it will turn it into a liability like being overcommitted. Real quickly, Exodus is a story of a man named Moses in Exodus and he's, uh, he's the picture of loyalty turned dysfunctional. He's the picture of somebody who is loyal to a fault and he overcommits and not just in one situation but he it's, it's a pattern of behavior in his life that actually keeps him from being able to enter into the thing that God promised him. When God talked to Moses, God never talked to Moses about the wilderness. He always talked to Moses about the promised land. But Moses never got to experience the promised land because he was trapped in the wilderness by his insecurity. In Exodus chapter Chapter two, the Bible tells us about Moses that because he's struggling with his identity, it tells us that one day he sees this Hebrew because he's, he's a Hebrew person by birth, but he's being raised by the Egyptians. So he's got an identity crisis going on and he, he sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian and he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. Bible's so funny because it says before he kills him, it it says, Moses looked this way and he looked that way (laughs) to make sure nobody was watching. (laughs) Then he killed him and he buried him in the sand. The thing about burying stuff in the sand is that the wind's going to blow eventually and uncover what was buried. So he feels really good about himself, honestly. And the next day he comes back out and he sees two Hebrew men fighting. And he tries to step in. He's like, hey, you guys are brothers. Why are you, why are you fighting like this? And they look at him like, you gonna kill us too? The Bible says in Acts chapter seven, it says this about Moses. It says in Acts seven twenty five, it says, Moses thought when he did that, that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses is dealing with every issue that's facing over a million people. He's sitting down every day and he's judging the people's issues, day and night. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes into town. And when his father-in-law comes into town, the Bible says that his father-in-law comes with Moses' wife and his kids. Why? Because Moses had allowed his own insecurity to push his wife and his children away, to focus on his job. Why? Because his job was where he was getting his identity. So Jethro says, Moses, I'm coming and I'm bringing your wife and your kids with me. 
says, we're going to fix this. And he sees Moses judging the people. And he says, Moses, you got to stop doing this. This is going to kill you. This is going to end your life. That's in Exodus 18. In Exodus 32, the Bible says he comes off of a mountain after talking to God. And God writes commands on stones. He comes off the mountain and he sees them, the people, worshiping a golden calf. And he takes what he had just received from God and he throws it on the ground and breaks it. Why? Because Moses' whole identity was in those people. He had abandoned his family. He had destroyed what God had given him over those people. In Numbers chapter 12, the Bible says that his sister turns on him. And God gets upset. And God starts to deal with his sister. And he pleads for God to intervene and stop dealing with his sister. God's trying to teach her a lesson. And he just doesn't want to see it happen. Numbers 13. The spies come back. They're all negative. Numbers 14. He intercedes again for the people. God is so frustrated at this point with the people that he's like, Moses, get out of the way. I'm taking them out. And Moses is like, you can't do that. Why is Moses pleading for the people? It seems like a virtue, but he's actually pleading for the people because his whole identity is in the people. If God kills the people, who is he? So Moses begs God to keep people in his life that God's trying to get rid of. And if you're not careful... Your insecurity will do the same thing. God's trying to remove you from situations and people and because you're insecure and you're like, I I don't know if I'll ever find somebody. Even if the person who's with you is terrible to you, you're just not sure you'll find anybody else. God's like, I'm trying to move you on. I'm trying to move you out. I'm trying to give you something better, but you are praying and begging me to keep people in your life that I'm trying to remove from your life. And those same people that Moses begged God to keep in his life became the reason that he missed out on what God wanted to do. So I've got to make a choice. If I'm going to live insecure, I will not be able to serve God. Henry Cloud said, here's the thing about taking responsibility for others is that they can be irresponsible and happy. And you can be responsible and miserable because you're taking responsibility for their irresponsibility. Let me give you this last thought, guilt. Guilt. Romans 8, 33 says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Church family, you gotta decide, what are you gonna do with money? What are you going to do with your fear? What are you going to do with your insecurity? And what are you going to do with the guilt that you feel? What are we going to do with that? Romans tells us that the only one who can really bring a charge against us as far as our sins are concerned is God. I'm not talking about the natural consequences for sin. You can be forgiven by God and still suffer natural consequences in the earth for your sin. Just ask somebody who got saved when they were on their way to prison or somebody who got saved and they were in prison. Just because they got saved didn't mean they got out of prison. 
So there's still natural consequences, but I want you to understand that even though the court might have said you're guilty and put you behind bars, God sees you as innocent and he has freed you from the guilt that is connected to what you are done. You can live on a higher level. Psalm 32 and five says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I do not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salvation is not, listen to me, salvation is not a loan you pay back. It's a gift you receive. You don't have what was required to pay for your salvation. That price had to be paid for you. You didn't have enough money. You didn't have enough resources. You weren't good enough for any of that. That was not a loan. It was a gift. So many people live their Christianity like what God has done for them is a loan. And we owe God a payment. And tithing is like a monthly payment. And serving is like a monthly payment. And coming to church is like a payment. Trying to, what are you doing? I'm trying to pay God back for what he did for me. You can't pay him back. You'd have 10 lifetimes and you wouldn't have enough lifetimes to pay him back for what he's done for you. Stop trying to pay God back. Now I'm going to say this and this is going to offend some religious people, but you really don't owe God anything. He didn't say, if, if, if you realize that you owe me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, no, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I love him because I realize that I can't pay him back. I could never afford what it cost to save my life. So many people live their Christian life like this. Imagine Imagine if you owed somebody money and you're like, I don't have to imagine. Rob, I do. <laughs> okay, okay. Imagine if you owe a friend money, right? Say it's, say it's $5,000 and you owe that money to a friend and you were supposed to pay it back a month ago. And if you see him out in public, are you going to run up to him and be like, hey man, been a minute since I saw you. No, if you, realize, if you owe somebody money and you see him in public, what are you doing? You're going the opposite direction. If you know you owe somebody money and that 800 number calls, you're like, I ain't answering that. <laughs> what do you, when you owe people, you avoid them. In the same way, when you live your life with Christ, like you owe him something, you'll just end up avoiding him. Because you will always live in the shame of not being able to afford that payment. So I've got, to, I've got to make a choice. Choose this day. Are you going to serve your guilt? Or are you going to serve God? Because you can't serve God in guilt. You can't serve God in insecurity. You can't serve God in fear. You can't serve God and money. Choose this day who you will serve. Will you stand on your feet with me today? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this word. Thank you that you have put choices before us. You've given us an opportunity to choose you. 
over our fears, to choose you over our guilt, to choose you over our insecurity, to choose you over money. You've given us this opportunity today. And God, you're so awesome. I choose you. I choose you. You've been so faithful, God. I choose you. I, I, I can't serve my insecurity. My insecurity will keep me from ever doing anything. I choose you. I cannot serve my fear. My fear will keep me, keep me locked away. I, I, I have to choose you in my mind. I have to choose you. I, I can't serve money because if, if I serve money, I'll end up loving money more than I love you. God, I choose you. Anybody in the room today just want to maybe throw your hands up in the air and just say, God, we, I choose, choose you. I choose you. Only you. Just like the songs we've been singing today. Nothing else will do. We just want you. And I have to make that choice every day. It doesn't just happen one time in an altar. I got to make that choice every day. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he's going to have to deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. This isn't a choice I just make once. I make this choice every day. Help me to be, if I'm decisive about anything, help me to be decisive about you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. If there's anybody in this room today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, or you've been away from God and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus again, you want to say that today. Maybe it's for your first time, or maybe it's the 10th, 15th. I don't, I don't know how many times, but today you said, you know, I, Rob, I've been away, and I need to make a decision to come back to the Lord. I choose this day who I'm going to serve. If that's you in the room today and you'd like to pray a prayer with me, I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to count to three. When I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air and we're going to pray together and believe that in this moment, God is going to supernaturally change your life forever. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. I see you. I see you. I see you over there. I see you. Back there, I see you. I see these two hands, this hand. I see you. Anybody else? I see you back there. I see you here. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. I choose you in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Come on, Calvary. Let's put our hands together one more time. Awesome. So awesome. Awesome. I want to encourage you, if you made that decision today and you have not been baptized, uh, I, want you to, I want you to consider being baptized. We've got a video that we can send you and everything. We'd love to connect with you. So if you made that decision today, make sure you text the number 423-443-4339 with the word decision. And we'd love to talk to you about your future, your walk with the Lord all of that. We'd love to help you in that journey. And if you'd like to sign up to be baptized today, what that means is just we follow the example of Jesus and we get immersed in water. There's a lot in that. We don't have time to go in that, but you will love it and it will change your life forever. You get to go swimming. It's pretty awesome. 
So we would love for you to do that. Also, like Pastor Chad Veach said a couple weeks ago, I love that thought, just keep coming to church. Just keep showing up, just keep showing up. You're like, I don't know what to do, Rob, just keep showing up. I don't know how to do all this, just keep showing up. I don't know what to do from here, just keep showing up and God will continue to teach you. How many, how many in the room today could throw your hand up in the air and just say, that's how I've learned so much about God. I just kept showing up. I didn't have all the answers. I just kept showing up. Amen. Well, we love you. Prayer team will be around front. Love to, love to meet you and talk to you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon.